Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You are inside the QB factory where our magical development dust makes all of your dreams come true. This is episode two brought to you by the five pocket SB nation and bleeding green nation. I am your host, Michael Kist and joining me as always is our mad scientist and QB one in our hearts, our minds. He is Mark Schofield, Mark, not to brag, but I did get a W in Warzone last night, so my life is pretty great, and I'm mentally stable. How you doing, brother? I, I'm doing well. Apparently, you guys should have gotten two Ws from yeah. what I woke up to in the DMs this morning. There was a third. There was a regrettable third place finish. I got, I got, I got a half dozen kills in that one. But then when we got the W, I had my second straight win with zero kills. So I was technically there. I'm not sure if I was helping, but it feels good to get the W, you know? We call that the Trubitsky dub. (laughs) It's a true QB win. (laughs) It is. It's a QB win, right? You know? Look, I had one of those in college. We beat Hamilton. It was a game I started, but I get pulled after my second pick and the starting quarterback came in. He could barely walk. He like Kurt Schilled his way to throw in two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter. So look, it's a QB win. I am a firm believer in the quarterback win. But to get this show back on track, let's talk about some history, right? Yeah. Because that's what we do on this show. And we're not going to do so much of a historical reference as we're going to lay the foundation for what the gentle listeners might want to prepare themselves for over the next couple of weeks and months. Because Mike... What are we going to be talking about when we talk about history over the next couple of weeks and months? Vikings, baby. Why are we going to be talking about Vikings? Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I'm ready. I'm so ready. Our our marriages are completely fine. But I I wanted to point out to the gentle listeners two books, which I'm going to be working my way through. One is titled Vikings, the North Atlantic Saga. It is by William Fitzhugh, who is the director of Arctic Studies and the department and a curator in the Department of Anthropology at the Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History. It is about five hundred pages of Viking goodness. Mm. I'm getting my working my way through that, and I also wanted to go back in time a bit, pun intended. When I was growing up, I loved these books. They're called the Useborn Time Traveler series. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're like little cartoons, but they're incredibly informative. And they had four of them, and I was able to buy all four of them together for my son, who promptly took one look at it and tossed it aside. But they had one on knights and castles, one on Roman Romans, one on pharaohs and pyramids, and one on Viking raiders. Ooh. It is fascinating. And each one like sort of tells the story. Like, for example, with the Viking one, you will meet along the way Earl Nutt, Astrid, <laughs> Freda. Olaf, who's Earl Nutt's first cousin. You will learn about Rolo, and it takes you through like basically the history of Vikings. It's it's incredible. It's Fre- awesome stuff. 
Th- those are good tales. Freda is is a beast, so that that's a good one. I, I got to yeah. get that and re- read some bedtime stories to 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 uh, the wee baby Augustus. <laughs> the suggestion I'll make is the Sea Wolves, a history of the Vikings by Lars Brownworth. And I mean, his first name is Lars, so you know he's know what he's talking about when it, yeah. when it comes to Vikings. Uh, but that's a really good like introductory narrative flow. It's not overly scholarly or anything like that. A nice quick book to get through and get you prepared uh, for Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which I'm, I'm right. so ready for. Oh, and cannot wait. So let, let's, let's talk football. Now that we've got our prerequisite uh, few minutes out of the way talking about everything but football. But football. And, yeah. I mean, it's quarantine, man. Video games is what's getting us through. Reading is what's getting us through. So we might as well make some good suggestions for the gentle listeners. But <laughs> Everything's fine. Everything's yeah. fine. So, Mark, on the first episode of the QB Factory, we talked some Jalen Hurts. We talked some Jordan Love. And today we're going to take a more methodical approach to analyzing where these draft prospects landed and what it all means. So today we're going to get through as many of these top selections as we can. We're also going to talk about some Andy Dalton. But uh, on the next show, we'll talk more about the developmental guys like Jake Fromm and whatnot. So to get that process underway... And look, this first one can be brief because we've talked about the new Bengals quarterback, Joe Burrow, ad nauseum throughout this process. And maybe I'll frame the discussion a little bit differently now that we know for sure that he is, in fact, a Bengal. When when you look at the situation in Cincinnati, the offensive line is a bit of a mess. They rank 20th in pass protection, according to Football Outsiders last year. Their weapons at wide receiver include a rookie, T. Higgins from Clemson, who was selected 33rd overall. John Ross, whose fifth-year option was just declined and Tyler Boyd, and A.J. Green, who for the past four years, his availability has been really hit or miss. Now that we know that Andy Dalton is out of the picture, and we know for sure that Burrow is starting year one, for as much as we love Burrow as a prospect, what do you think we can expect from him and this offense in his rookie campaign? And I think it's important to look at the context of the bigger moment, and we might get sort of an abbreviated training camp. He might not get an entire preseason slate of games to work through some of the rookie bumps that are going to come his way if he has a full training camp or not. Like Rookies have trouble. And even with a training camp, like a full training camp, Kyler Murray coming into a new system with the Arizona Cardinals, but a system he was familiar with with college, that offense didn't hit stride until the second half of the season. So even with all that, a very good quarterback can struggle in these conditions, and it's only made worse by what we're going through right now. Yeah, exactly. And so it's going to be a tough adjustment period. Now, one of the things that sort of works in his favor, and I sadly have to point this out on an Eagles podcast, is (laughs) the AFC North gets the NFC East. So look, they get Washington on the schedule. They get the Giants on the schedule, two teams that also picked in the top four of the draft. And so there might be some games along the way where he'll be able to sort of figure things out. Now, look, we're recording this on Thursday. The schedule hasn't dropped yet. There were rumors yesterday from John Clayton that you'll open up with non-conference games. It seems like that's sort of getting quashed as we go through the day today. So who knows what the schedule looks like. But theoretically, there's a possibility they could open up with some of those NFC East teams. So you might get Washington to sort of iron the kinks out. You might get the Giants to sort of iron the kinks out. Even Dallas's defense doesn't look all that Yeah, I mean, they've probably taken a step back. And so the one thing that Burrow has going for him is his ability in the pocket, right? You know, we pointed this out when we talked about him before the draft. 83% of their drop back pass and plays last year were five-man protection schemes. So it's almost like you're – 
run it with less of an offensive line, less of a protection group around you. So that's kind of kind of prepare him for what life might be like behind the Bengals offensive line. Even if it's porous, he's used to having free rushers come at him. And the one thing that works in his favor in that sense is his ability to handle the pocket. And PFF's draft guide, they have incredible ways of sort of framing things. They described him as somebody that was unfazed in the pocket this season, steps into deep balls with bodies collapsing around him. And that shows up on film play after play after play. The guy's fearless in the pocket. He's fearless moving around the pocket. The bodies could be flying all over the place and he's keeping the eyes downfield. Remember that play we talked about from the start of the national championship game where Isaiah Simmons comes untouched off the edge and he's chasing him all over the pocket and he somehow managed to escape flush to the right and throw a dart 40 yards downfield to Thaddeus Moss. I mean, the guy does stuff like that. So he's going to be okay figuring out the protection side of things and dealing with his offensive line. I like the Higgins acquisition for him. It gives him that potential like ball winner with a catch radius that he can find on third and seven. It's hard to bet against this kid, right? Like you see what he did last year. You see the post game image of him with a cigar and, you know, the hat on with with the BD Joe on it. I mean, come on. The guy seems to have it. He seems to have everything you want from a quarterback. So I'm not too worried about him in Cincinnati behind that offensive line. I mean, am I wrong? So, I mean, I just checked the Vegas odds and the Bengals Super Bowl chances are slated at 100 to 1. Third worst I mean, in the league. I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but, but I mean, when the over-under drops, I mean, do, does Vegas have an over-under on wins for them for next year? I, yet? I, I haven't seen that. But I do think, like, to your point, like, not you're not thinking Super Bowl with Burrow, but I think it might be better than we expect with, with Burrow. Yeah. And even if he struggles, like, we get it. The, the first year for a quarterback, the rookie year, and especially with this offseason like we touched on, it's not the end-all, be-all. It's not a very strong signal. So we could no. see like a meh burrow as they all try to figure out everything with this offense around him. The only thing I think you want to see if you're a Bengals fan or if you're excited about Joe Burrow, just want to see him sort of getting better over the course of the season. Yeah. And it's not going to be linear. Like he's not going to be like bad in week one, a little bit better in week two, a little bit better in week three. It's not going to be this like nice little upward trend. It's going to have peaks and valleys. He's going to have bad games. But by week 16 or 17, you just want to see somebody that's better than he was back in week one. That's all you can ask for from a rookie quarterback. Yeah. Like we're not always going to get the Dak Prescott situation where you step into a loaded situation. You have another great running back next to you who's a rookie. You have a team that's ready to contend anyway. Like this is a team that picked first in the draft for a reason. Yeah. Like they're not going to be great out of the gate. I I mentioned Andy Dalton earlier, and we might as well take the time for an aside here. He signs with the Dallas Cowboys to be Dak's backup, who you mentioned, and I think it's a great contract for them. It's it's one year worth three million dollars. There's four million dollars baked into the contract in the form of incentives. So there's a possible for seven million dollars. That four million dollars includes bonuses for regular season playing time making the playoffs, playing time in the playoffs, and so on. And a lot of people on Eagles Twitter had some fun with this, and that's all well and good. And I get that Dak isn't signed to a long-term deal yet, which that whole thing is just a mess. But I don't look at Andy Dalton and think, oh, well, they certainly got some leverage against Dak now that they can use against him. I look at it more along the lines of this is a veteran quarterback trying to revive his career, go to a situation where he thinks he can thrive with with a a really good offense and a a great offensive coordinator, in my opinion, on a cheap deal, and that if he needs to play four games, you hopefully get two wins. Would you agree with that that overall assessment? Mike, do you know off the top of your head who the other quarterbacks in Dallas's quarterback room currently are? I know they let go of uh, Cooper Rush. Right. Yeah. But I, they not... still have two other quarterbacks in that room. 
Oh, one of them is Clayton Thorson. <laughs> one of them is Clayton Thorson. So, yeah, there's that. And the other is the, un- the their seventh round pick, Ben DiNucci, the kid from James Madison. Okay. 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 So – if you're looking at a quarterback room before – and look, you had Rush there. And now, obviously, they've moved on from him because they bring in Andy Dalton. But Clayton Thorson and Ben DiNucci, like, you need to have a plan B in this league, right? You need to have a viable backup option. Eagles fans know that. Patriots fans know that. Like, if the starter goes down and you don't have a viable option at the backup spot, you're lost. You might yeah. face an entirely lost season. And I'm a firm believer – and it's not just because I'm a sad sack, bleeding heart for quarterbacks. It's true. Like you should address backup quarterback in the depth of your quarterback room every offseason. You know, if you've got an opportunity to improve at the backup spot at quarterback, you should do it. And this is a little exercise I will challenge every gentle listener to undertake. Take the 53-man roster. Take, okay, 22 starters. Those are your most 22 important positions, right? You could rank them quarterback one, quarterback five, whatever. 23 is probably backup quarterback, right? Mm. Like when you get outside the starters. And in some situations, you might say backup quarterback could be more important than an interior defensive tackle. Running back. You could even go down that running back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could do that. And so if you're not as an organization addressing depth at quarterback, you're missing an opportunity to prepare yourself for an eventual bad situation. It's like the ultimate insurance in this sport. And so the fact that they brought in Andy Dalton, the the takes are fun, right? Yeah. You know, he's going to take Dak's job. They've got leverage. The takes are certainly fun. But this is an insurance plan. If Dak gets hurt, and he's a guy that plays a little bit of physicality. He's a guy that runs at times, so he might expose himself to a hit. You've got somebody that can step in and, like you said, ride the team for four games and get you to a three and one or a two and two over that stretch. And we saw in the NFC East last year, one game could be the difference between hosting a playoff game on wildcard weekend and sitting at home like the rest of us watching from the couch. Mm. And if you go you know, one in three as opposed to three and one over a four game slate because your backup quarterback situation is garbage. That's on you for not preparing. Yeah. So the the the, the Dalton acquisition is a good move from a let's protect ourselves against that situation kind of view. And it's more it's nothing more than that, but it's a good acquisition because of that potential eventuality that you might face. I think if you're the Cowboys, you look at the loss to the Eagles last year, and Dak was obviously hurt. He was obviously hindered by the shoulder and, and didn't have the zip on the ball and wasn't able to throw, you know, deep and outside and everything like that. And if you haven't, and, and they didn't have an option like Andy Dalton right. to back him up and just run the offense against the Eagles defense that was very, you know, uh, uh, taped together. So they yeah. really missed out on an opportunity there, and it might have cost them a playoff chance. So I think if you're the Cowboys, you see that. You see what else has happened inside of your division with the depth at quarterback that have helped the Eagles make playoff runs and playoff pushes late in the season. And you absolutely want to get on board with that. And with the importance of the first seed in these conferences going into the playoffs, I mean, that's a big factor, too. That's a massively good point, Mike, because, you know, this year you got to get that number one overall seed if at all possible. Yeah. Otherwise, look, you're playing a wild card weekend, too, as a two. Yeah. And and how often do we see teams that play on wildcard weekend, even hosted them, you know, make a deep run or get to a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl? Like, chances are much better in your favor, especially now because you'll have to play three games. Yep. Like, it's just if you can win as many games as possible, that's the goal to get that number one overall seed. 
And that point about the Eagles and the Cowboys game from the end of the year last year, yeah, Dak couldn't play. Like, he wasn't himself. He was nowhere close to 100%. And, you know, 100% Andy Dalton is probably better in that situation than a 65% Dak Prescott. Because at least, you know, the defense knew, the Eagles defense knew, anything over 15 yards or anything towards the boundary, it's not going to get there close to on time. So you could just sort of sit on stuff underneath and try to take that away. Go ahead. Try to beat us over the top. Good luck. It's yeah. not going to get there. So, yeah, it, it's a smart move for them. Yeah, Dak missed some key throws in that game late, probably in part because of that injury. All right. So we did our, we did our aside on Andy Dalton there. We covered a, a bit of a rival for the Eagles. So when we come back here on the QB Factory, we're going to talk about the other first-round selections and see who else we get to. That's coming up next here on BGN. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here inside the QB factory, brought to you by SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Michael Kist here with Mark Schofield. Mark, let's go through these other first-round selections. I mean, we already covered Jordan Love, so we don't have to go there, but let's kind of go in a linear order here. We'll go with Miami at five, and and Miami held the nuclear codes for a potential trade-up, and as such, were able to deter teams from jumping ahead of them and really fooled a lot of people during the process because the feeling was that Tua would slide and that it would be Justin Herbert as the second quarterback off the board, but no risk it, no biscuit, and the Dolphins take a massive swing with Tua at fifth overall. I don't love it because of the injury stuff. It scares the crap out of me. But credit to the Dolphins for the way they went through this process. They held their cards tight to their chest. They didn't have to move up to make sure they, they got their quarterback. Were you just as uh, fooled as I was on draft day when they saw Tua? Man, I mean, talk about the smokescreen operation of all time. Yeah. I mean, this was like... You know, if you want to make a historical reference, like, you know, this was like Pearl Harbor in a sense. Like, <laughs> they hit it from everybody. Yeah. And they had everybody fooled. I mean, I was hearing back down in Mobile during the Senior Bowl. Miami's worried about Tua. They're worried about the hip. They're very concerned about his long-term and even his short-term prognosis. They really like Justin Herbert. Ownership like Justin Herbert dating back to last year. And that was back in January before the world changed. And then the world changed. You don't get that, you know, potential for a top 30 visit for teams. You have Michael Lombardi, obviously somebody we respect given his time in the league. You know, he's out there saying, 
two different teams failed to uh, from a medical perspective. Mm. You know, you've got two undisclosed, previously undisclosed wrist injuries. And then he starts saying, look, they might draft a tackle at five and wait to address quarterback. Right. They might trade up not to draft a quarterback, but to draft a tackle, make sure they get the one they want. So you have this like months long campaign with evidence pointed back to a previous season with the Herbert stuff saying they're not going to draft Tua. They're going to go in a completely different direction. And they sit there and draft Tua. And they had everybody fooled. And if they were fooled like idiots like us, like look around the NFL. Like I think people in the league might have been fooled too. So credit to them for the operation they ran. Like you said, there is a risk, right? There is a risk that the short-term health is not as good as we hope, that the long-term prognosis is not favorable for him. And let's not forget, you know, he does have the hip injury, sure. You've got the two, you know, high ankle sprains with that tightrope procedure, which we don't know how viable that is for the long-term health of a player. And he's also somebody that's similar to Carson Wentz, plays with a style that might expose him to the potential risk of injuries down the road, with the way he extends plays, with the way he tries to operate outside of the pocket. And so this does come with risk. But at the same time, they had a ton of draft capital and they used it the way they wanted to. They stuck to their plan. They got their quarterback. They had a ton of cap space. They've spent a ton of money. They've certainly improved themselves over the course of this offseason. And if Tua hits, it's a great pick for them. I think he's an ideal fit for what they want to do schematically. They're building sort of a modern West Coast offense out of the spread, getting the ball out of his hands quickly. They're building an offensive line that's going to protect him, sort of Kyle Krabs, who covers the Dolphins, said they're going to protect more horizontally than vertically and try to get the ball out of his hands quickly. Austin Jackson, whatever you want to say about him at 18, Mm. he's got some promise and some techniques to him. I like the pick for them. It does come with risks, but I think he fits with what they're trying to build. They clearly have a vision for what they want to do on both sides of the ball. You look at how they constructed their secondary. They've now got three guys with Noah I, the rookie that they drafted at 30, Xavier Howard, Byron Jones. They can play matchups in the secondary. I love what the Dolphins are doing sort of globally on both sides of the ball, and I think the two of it pick fits in with that yeah and they also drafted Robert Hunt in the second round I think they went with another uh, offensive lineman in the fourth round if I'm not mistaken so they're really trying to build up that offensive line to kind of limit those which was which was bad look you know our boy Mike Renner pointed out how many hits Ryan Fitzpatrick took last year yeah I mean it was like 77 or something like that which is a pretty high number and it's certainly not survivable for somebody with Tua's injury history because he also pointed out that Tua took like what three four five hits something (laughs) like that last year and he got hurt twice yeah like that gives you some pause yeah it it really does but I I like your point about the way they're going to set the offense up I think it it it, you know they they re-signed Devontae Parker who came on last year played fantastic at the end of the season as Eagles fans are Gilmore yeah I mean your defensive player of the year week 17 a must-win game for New England yep to get that by and he's out there roasting Stephon Gilmore so yeah those of us that like Parker coming out finally cash it in some of those receipts, which I think I deleted anyway. So. Yeah, right. Also, I think, you know, if Albert Wilson is healthy, I thought he was on the verge of a breakout before he got banged up with the hip, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. I really liked his game. I like that signing, and he's he's a yak monster. Like, with the ball in his hands, he can be really good, so he's a guy that they can manufacture touches in that way. So it's set, it's set up okay for her, for uh, for Tua. Uh, they're really trying to work on that offensive line. We'll see how that goes, see if they can limit the exposure to hits there. And, and speaking of, of Herbert... Who I almost said just right there. 
at sixth overall, Justin Herbert does go inside the top 10, not the quarterback two off the board, but quarterback three. The Los Angeles Chargers had said throughout the process that Tyrod Taylor was their guy. Uh, I'm not sure how much all of the, all of us believe that. They certainly said all the right things. Uh, do you think this is a similar situation to like what it was with the Cleveland Browns where Tyrod Taylor started to begin the season? People started getting restless because he's got kind of that conservative style and they start calling for the rookie and he ends up uh, – Maybe maybe midseason is when Herbert steps in, or what, what do you think is ideal for him? I mean, I, I think sort of from Turb from Justin Herbert's perspective, sort of stepping in sometime midseason makes a lot of sense. I do think Herbert is going to need a little bit of an adjustment, but he's somebody that I certainly think can play as a rookie. You no, know, the interesting thing with Herbert is the ability to attack the middle of the field. One, and the ability to make throws under pressure too. Like those are areas that are question marks for him. And I'm not sure that things are going to get better in terms of the pressure he's going to face in an NFL pocket as opposed to a college pocket. Like he struggled when he was under pressure last year. Like the numbers were not good. And when you look at what he can do in an NFL setting where he's trying to figure out defenses, he's trying to read defenses, he's trying to read the middle of the field on a more consistent basis than he certainly showed at Oregon. You could see where things are going to be difficult for him. Now, he has the arm to make every single throw. I'm, I'm, I don't have any questions about that. And he has shown at times an ability to make some NFL-style reads. It's just he wasn't asked to do a ton of it. What he's going to be asked to do now in this Chargers offense is going to be vastly different than what he was asked to do with Oregon. And the other thing to keep in mind, they're breaking in a new offensive coordinator. Yeah. Like, it's not a situation like you have, for example, Cincinnati Zach Taylor. Like, he's been part of a team that helped Jared Goff, for example. He was under Sean McVay. That's what got him this gig. You know, you could even look at the Dolphins situation. Chan Gailey, obviously, like an NFL veteran. Like, he's been around the league for years. Now you're breaking into somebody that just got the gig as an interim offensive coordinator last year so he's learning how to like consistently call plays and game plan and all that stuff there's no proven body of quarterback development like we have with some of these other guys so it's going to be a big question about how those two guys gel i think tyrod is probably your starter week one and i think he holds that position down for a while the other thing to keep in mind though when you look at the cleveland situation with tyrod baker mayfield is a different animal like, he's a different cat altogether. Like, what Baker took over for Cleveland on that Thursday night game against the Jets, like, that stadium turned like a light switch when right. Baker walked onto the field, right? And you and I remember when Baker was at the Senior Bowl. Like, remember what Lad Peebles felt like when Baker walked onto the practice field? It was electric. Like, it was literally electric. <laughs> and this is a practice in Mobile in January <laughs> with, like, a scatter shot of idiots from draft Twitter ourselves included, like yeah. in the stands. It's not sixty to 70,000 screaming diehards. So you can imagine if it got Lad Peebles electric, what Baker did, you know, to First Energy Stadium. It's going to be different with Justin Herbert. Like there's not going to be, I don't think, that electricity when you see him start to warm up on the sidelines. Like Chargers games are sparsely attended anyway. Yeah. But I don't think the people that are there are going to be like, oh yeah, this guy's coming in. Like he's a, just a different guy. And so I don't know if there's going to be that sort of impetus to really get him onto the field. Like there was a Baker who was the first overall pick. Like I, I think that might almost be a good thing for Herbert, right? Yeah. Because he won't get forced to play early. There might not be this desire to just get him onto the field. The fan base might be a little bit more patient and that might sort of help him in the long run. So 
you know, it's going to be an interesting situation to see how that plays out. I think he has the tools to be successful. I'm just a little bit worried about this fit because of, you know, the lack of true quarterback development chops on the coaching staff, as opposed to some of these other guys and where they landed. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, and I'm I'm concerned about Herbert overall. But either way, he goes in the top six there, lands with the Chargers. We'll see how it works out for him. We'll see when he starts uh, this season, probably at some point. So that that does it for the first round. We already covered the the two quarterbacks in this in, in the end of the first round and in the second round. Jalen Hurts and Jordan Love. We covered that on QB Factory number one. Uh, next week we'll be talking about fourth round guys. Is when it starts to pick up again. Jacob Eason to the Colts. Uh, the New York Jets pick up James Morgan, who they really loved in his interviews. We're going to talk some Jake Fromm, and we're also going to talk about some uh, Mitch Trubisky because his fifth-year option oh, yeah. got declined, uh, which is a, a shocker. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mark, uh, any last words for the the gentle listeners before we uh, hit the old dusty trail? Look, you know, we're all in this together. Wash those hands. You know, sin a lawn when you do. Sin some Africa. Sin some Toto when you do it. <laughs> We'll get through this, kids. Um, there was a light at the end of the tunnel, and it is Assassin's Creed Valhalla. <laughs> so if you want to prepare yourselves like Mike and I are, again, read about the Vikings. We're going to be a, dropping a lot of Vikings historical references, maybe a Blood Eagle reference here or there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun little summer here at the QB Factory. Well, we'll catch you next time here on the QB Factory. Thanks for listening. G and